0: Hollinshed's Chronicles, a Description of Elizabethan England. Chapter 6. Of the Food and Diet of the English. The situation of our region, lying near unto the north, doth cause the heat of our stomachs to be of somewhat greater force, therefore our bodies do crave a little more ample nourishment than the inhabitants of the hotter regions are accustomed withal, whose digestive force is not altogether so vehement, because their internal heat is not so strong as ours, which is kept in by the coldness of the air that from time to time, especially in winter, doth environ our bodies. It is no marvel, therefore, that our tables are oftentimes more plentifully garnished than those of other nations, and this trade hath continued with us even since the very beginning. For, before the Romans found out and knew the way unto our country, our predecessors fed largely upon flesh and milk whereof there was great abundance in this isle, because they applied their chief studies unto pasturage and feeding. After this manner also did our Welsh Britons order themselves in their diet so long as they lived of themselves, but after they became to be united and made equal with the English they framed their appetites to live after our manner, so that at this day there is very little difference between us and our diets. In Scotland likewise they have given themselves, of late years to speak of, unto very ample and large diet, wherein as for some respect nature doth make them equal with us, so otherwise they far exceed us in overmuch and distemper gormandize, and so engross their bodies that divers of them do oft become unapt to any other purpose than to spend their times in large, tabling and belly cheer. Against this pampering of their carcasses doth Hector Boethius in his description of the country very sharply inveigh in the first chapter of that treatise. Henry Wardlaw also, bishop of St. Andrews, noting their vehement alteration from competent frugality into excessive gluttony to be brought out of England with James I, who had been long-time prisoner there under the fourth and fifth Henrys, and at his return carried diverse English gentlemen into his country with him, whom he very honourably preferred there, doth vehemently exclaim against the same in open Parliament Holden at Perth, 1433, before the three estates, and so bringeth his purpose to pass in the end, by force of his learned persuasions, that a law was presently made there for the restraint of superfluous diet, amongst other things, baked meats, dishes never before this man's days seen in Scotland, were generally so provided for by virtue of this act that it was not lawful for any to eat of the same under the degree of a gentleman, and those only but on high and festival days. But, alas, it was soon forgotten. In old time these North Britons did give themselves universally to great abstinence, and in time of wars their soldiers would often feed but once or twice at the most in two or three days, especially if they held themselves in secret, or could have no issue out of their bogs and marshes, through the presence of the enemy, and in this distress they used to eat a certain kind of confection, whereof so much as a bean would qualify their hunger above common expectation. In woods moreover they lived with herbs and roots, or, if these shifts served not through want of such provision at hand, then used they to creep into the water or said moorish plots up unto the chins, and there remain a long time, only to qualify the heats of their stomachs by violence, which otherwise would have wrought and been ready to oppress them for hunger and want of sustenance. In those days likewise it was taken for a great offense over all to eat either goose, hare, or hen, because of a certain superstitious opinion which they had conceived of those three creatures, howbeit after that the Romans, I say, Had once found an entrance into this island, it was not long ere open shipwreck was made of this religious observation, so that in process of times, so well the North and South Britons as the Romans gave over to make such difference in meats as they had done before. From thenceforth also unto our days, and even in this season wherein we live, there is no restraint of any meat either for religious sake or public order in England, but it is lawful for every man to feed upon whatsoever he is able to purchase. Except it be upon those days whereon eating of flesh is especially forbidden by the laws of the realm, which order is taken only to the end our numbers of cattle may be the better increased and that abundance of fish which the sea yieldeth more generally received. Besides this, there is great consideration had in making this law for the preservation of the navy and maintenance of convenient numbers of seafaring men, both which would otherwise greatly decay, some means were not found whereby they might be increased. But, Howsoever this case standeth, white meats, milk, butter, and cheese, which were never so dear as in my time, and wont to be accounted of as one of the chief stays throughout the island, are now reputed as food appertinent only to the inferior sort, whilst such as are more wealthy do feed upon the flesh of all kinds of cattle accustomed to be eaten, all sorts of fish taken upon our coasts and in our fresh rivers, and such diversity of wild and tame fowls as are either bred in our island or Brought over unto us, from other countries of the main. In number of dishes and change of meat the nobility of England, whose cooks are for the most part musical-headed Frenchmen and strangers, do most exceed, sit there is no day in manner that passeth over their heads wherein they have not only beef, mutton, veal, lamb, kid, pork, coney, capon, pig, or so many of these as the season yieldeth, but also some portion of the red or fallow deer beside great variety of fish and wild fowl, and there two sundry other delicates wherein the sweet hand of the seafaring Portugal is not wanting, so that for a man to dine with one of them, and to taste of every dish that standeth before him, which few used to do, but each one feedeth upon that nat him best liketh for the time, the beginning of every dish notwithstanding being reserved unto the greatest personage that sitteth at the table, to whom it is drawn up still by the waiters as order requireth. And from whom it descendeth again even to the lower end, whereby each one may taste thereof, is rather to yield unto a conspiracy with a great deal of meat for the speedy suppression of natural health than the use of a necessary mean to satisfy himself with a competent repast to sustain his body withal. But, as this large feeding is not seen in their guests, no more is it in their own persons, for, sit they have daily much resort unto their tables, and many times unlooked for. And thereto retain great numbers of servants, it is very requisite and expedient for them to be somewhat plentiful in this behalf. The chief part, likewise of their daily provision is brought in before them, commonly in silver vessels, if they be of the degree of barons, bishops, and upwards, and placed on their tables, whereof, when they have taken what it pleaseth them, the rest is reserved, and afterwards sent down to their serving men and waiters, who feed thereon in like sort with convenient moderation. Their reversion also being bestowed upon the poor which lie ready at their gates in great numbers to receive the same. This is spoken of the principal tables whereat the nobleman, his lady, and guests are accustomed to sit, besides which they have a certain ordinary allowance daily appointed for their halls, where the chief officers and household servants, for all are not permitted by custom to wait upon their master, and with them such inferior guests do feed as are not of calling to associate the nobleman himself, so that, besides those aforementioned, which are called to the principal table, there are commonly forty or threescore persons fed in those halls, to the great relief of such poor suitors and strangers also as oft be partakers thereof and otherwise like to dine hardly. As for drink, it is usually filled in pots, goblets, jugs, bowls of silver, in noblemen's houses, also in fine Venice glasses of all forms, and, for want of these elsewhere, in pots of earth of sundry colours and moulds, whereof many are garnished with silver, or at the leastwise in pewter, all which notwithstanding are seldom set on the table, but each one, as necessity urgeth, calleth for a cup of such drink, as him listeth to have, so that, when he has tasted of it, he delivered the cup. Again to some one of the standers, by, who, making it clean by pouring out the drink that remaineth, restoreth it to the cupboard from whence he fetched the same. By this device, a thing brought up at the first by Nisithius of Athens, in conservation of the honor of Orestes, who had not yet made expiration for the death of his adulterous parents, Aegisthus and Clytemnestra, much idle tippling is furthermore cut off, for, if the full pots should continually stand at the elbow or near the trencher, divers would always be dealing with them, whereas now they drink seldom, and only when necessity urgeth, and so avoid the note of great drinking, or often. Troubling of the servitors with filling of their bowls. Nevertheless, in the noblemen's halls, this order is not used, neither is any man's house commonly under the degree of a knight or esquire of great revenues. It is a world to see in these our days, wherein gold and silver most aboundeth, how that our gentility, as loathing those metals, because of the plenty, do now generally choose rather the Venice glasses, both for our wine and beer than any of those metals or stone wherein before time we have been accustomed to drink, but such is the nature of man generally that it most coveteth things difficult to be attained, and such is the estimation of this stuff that many become rich only with their new. Trade unto Murana, a town near to Venice, situate on the Adriatic Sea, from whence the very best are daily to be had, and such as for beauty do well near match the crystal or the ancient Marina Vesa whereof now no man hath knowledge. And as this is seen in the gentility, so in the wealthy community the like desire of glass is not neglected, whereby the gain gotten by their purchase is yet much more increased to the benefit of the merchant. The poorest also will have glass if they may, but, sit the Venetian is somewhat too dear for them, they content themselves with such as are made at home of fern and burned stone, but in fine all go one way, that is, to shards at the last, so that are great expenses in glasses, beside that they breed much strife toward such as have the charge of them, are worst of all bestowed in mine opinion, because their pieces do turn unto no profit. If the philosopher's stone were once found, and one part hereof mixed with forty of molten glass, it would induce such a metallical toughness thereunto that a fall should nothing hurt it in such manner, yet it might peradventure bunch or batter it, nevertheless that inconvenience were quickly to be redressed by the hammer. But whither am I slipped? The gentlemen and merchants keep much about one rate, and each of them contenteth himself with four, five, or six dishes, when they have but small resort, or peradventure with one, or two, or three at the most, when they have no strangers to accompany them at their tables. And yet their servants have their ordinary diet assigned, besides such as is left at their masters' boards, and not appointed to be brought thither the second time, which nevertheless is often seen, generally in venison, lamb, or some especial dish whereon the merchantman himself liketh to feed when it is cold, or peradventure for sundry causes incident to the feeder is better so than if it were warm or hot. To be short, at such times as the merchants do make their ordinary or voluntary feasts, it is a world to see what great provision is made of all manner of delicate meats, from every quarter of the country, wherein, beside that they are often comparable herein to the nobility of the land, they will seldom regard anything that the butcher usually killeth. But reject the same as not worthy to come in place. In such cases, also jellies of all colours, mixed with a variety in the representation of sundry flowers, herbs, trees, forms of beasts, fish, fowls, and fruits, and thereunto, marchpane wrought with no small curiosity, tarts of divers hues and sundry denominations, conserves of old fruits, foreign and home bread, suckets, codenacs, marmalades, marchpane, sugar bread, gingerbread florentines, wild fowls, venison of all sorts, and sundry outlandish confections, altogether seasoned with sugar. Which pliny calleth mel ex arandinibus, a device not common nor greatly used in old time at the table, but only in medicine, although it grew in Arabia, India, and Sicilia, do generally bear the sway, besides infinite devices of our own not possible for me to remember. Of the potato, and such venerous roots as are brought out of Spain, Portugal, and the Indies to furnish up our banquets, I speak not, wherein our murres of no less force, and to be had about Crosby Ravenswath, do now begin to have place. But among all these, the kind of meat which is obtained with most difficulty and costs, is commonly taken for the most delicate, and thereupon each guest will soonest desire to feed. And as all estates do exceed herein, I mean for strangeness and number of costly dishes, so these forget not to use the like excess in wine, insomuch as there is no kind to be had, neither anywhere more store of all sorts than in England, although we have none growing with us upwards, notwithstanding the daily restraints of the same but yearly to the proportion of twenty thousand or thirty thousand ton and brought over unto us, whereof at great meetings there is not some store to be had. Neither do I mean this of small wines only, as claret, white, red French, etc., which amount to about fifty-six sorts, according to the number of regions from whence they came, but also of the thirty kinds of Italian, Grecian, Spanish, Canarian, etc., whereof Vernage, Catepiment, Raspis, Muscadel, Romney, Bastard Lire, Osi Capri, Clary, and Mamasi, are not least of all accounted of, because of their strength and valor. For, as I have said in meat, so, the stronger the wine is, the more it is desired, by means whereof, in old time, the best was called Theologicum, because it was had from the clergy and religious men, unto whose houses many of the laity would often send for bottles filled with the same, being sure they would neither drink nor be served of the worst, or such as was any ways mingled or brewed by the vintner. nay, the merchant would have thought that his soul should have gone straightway to the devil if he should have served them with other than the best. Furthermore, when these have had their course which nature yieldeth, Sundry sorts of artificial stuff as epocras and wormwood wine must in like manner succeed in their turns besides stale ale and strong beer which nevertheless bear the greatest brunt in drinking and are of so many sorts and ages as it pleaseth the brewer to make them. The beer that is used at noblemen's tables in their fixed and standing houses is commonly a year old or peradventure of two years tunning or more, but this is not general. It is also brewed in march and therefore called march beer. For the household, it is usually not under a month's age, each one coveting to have the same stale as he may, so that it be not sour and his bread new as is possible, so that it be not hot. The artificer and husbandman makes greatest account of such meat as they may soonest come by and have it quickliest ready, except it be in London when the companies of every trade do meet on their quarter days, at which time they be nothing inferior to the nobility. Their food also consisteth principally in beef and such meat as the butcher selleth, that is to say, mutton, veal, lamb, pork, etc., whereof he findeth great store in the markets adjoining, beside sows, brawn, bacon, fruit, pies of fruit, fowls of sundry sorts, cheese, butter, eggs, etc., as the other wanteth it not at home, by his own provision which is at the best hand, and commonly least charge. In feasting also, this latter sort, I mean the husbandmen, do exceed after their manner, especially at bridles, purifications of women, and such odd meetings, where it is incredible to tell what meat is consumed and spent, each one bringing such a dish, or so many with him, as his wife and he do consult upon, but always with this consideration, that the lesser friend shall have the better provision. This also is commonly seen at these banquets, that the good man of the house is not charged with anything saving bread, drink, sauce, house-room, and fire. But the artificers in cities and good towns do deal far otherwise, for, albeit that some of them do suffer their jaws to go off before their claws, and divers of them, by making good cheer, do hinder themselves and other men, yet the wiser sort can handle the matter well enough in these junketings, and therefore their frugality deserveth commendation. To conclude, both the artificer and the husbandman are sufficiently liberal, and very friendly at their tables, and, when they meet, they are so merry without malice and plain without inward Italian or French craft and subtlety, that it would do a man good to be in company among them. Herein only are the inferior sorts somewhat to be blamed, that, being thus assembled, their talk is now and then such as savreth of scurrility and ribaldry, a thing naturally incident to carters and clowns, who think themselves not to be merry and welcome if their foolish veins in this behalf be never so little restrained. This is moreover to be added in these meetings, That if they happen to stumble upon a piece of venison and a cup of wine or very strong beer or ale, which latter they commonly provide against their appointed days, they think their cheer so great, and themselves to have fared so well, as the Lord Mayor of London, with whom, when their bellies be full, they will not often stick to make comparison, because that of a subject there is no public officer of any city in Europe that may compare in port and countenance with him during the time of his office. I might here talk somewhat of the great silence that is used at the tables of the honourable and wiser sort generally over all the realm, albeit that too much deserveth no commendation, for it belongeth to guests neither to be muty nor loquaces. likewise of the moderate eating and drinking that is daily seen, and finally of the regard that each one hath to keep himself from the note of surfeiting and drunkenness, for which cause salt meat, except beef, bacon, and pork, are not any wit esteemed, and yet these three may not be much powdered, but, as in rehearsal thereof I should commend the nobleman, merchant, and frugal artificer, so I could not clear the meaner sort of husbandmen and country inhabitants of very much babbling, except it be here and there some odd yeoman, with whom he is thought to be the merriest that talketh of most ribaldry, or the wisest man that speaketh fastest among them, and now and then surfeiting and drunkenness which they rather fall into for want. Of heed-taking than willfully following or delighting in those errors of set mind and purpose. It may be that divers of them living at home, with hard and pinching diet, small drink, and some of them having scarce enough of that, are soonest overtaken when they come into such banquets, howbeit they take it generally as no small disgrace if they happen to be cup-shotten, so that it is a grief unto them, though now sans remedy, sit the thing is done and past. If the friends also of the wealthier sort come to their houses from far, they are commonly so welcome till they depart as upon the first day of their coming, whereas in good towns and cities, as London, etc., men oftentimes complain of little room, and, in reward of a fat capon or plenty of beef and mutton largely bestowed upon them in the country, a cup of wine or beer with a napkin to wipe their lips and an, you are heartily welcome, is thought to be a great entertainment, and therefore the Old country clerks have framed this saying in that behalf, I mean upon the entertainment of townsmen and Londoners after the days of their abode, in this manner. Primus jucundus, tolerabilis est que secundus, tertius est venus, said Fetet quatraduanus. The bread throughout the land is made of such grain as the soil yieldeth, nevertheless the gentility commonly provide themselves sufficiently of wheat for their own tables, whilst their household and poor neighbors in some shires are forced to content themselves with rye, or barley, yea, and in time of dearth, many with bread made either of beans, peas, or oats, or of altogether and some acorns among, of which scourge the poorest do soonest taste, sith they are least able to provide themselves. Of better. I will not say that this extremity is oft so well to be seen in time of plenty as of dearth, but, if I should, I could easily bring my trial. For, albeit that there be much more ground eared now almost in every place than hath been of late years, yet such a price of corn continueth in each town and market without any just cause, except it be that landlords do get licenses to carry corn out of the land only to keep up the prices for their own private gains and ruin of the commonwealth, that the artificer and poor labouring man is not able to reach unto it, but is driven to content himself with horse corn, I mean beans, peas, oats, tares, and lentils and therefore it is a true proverb, and never so well verified as now, that hunger setteth his first foot into the horse manger. If the world last a while after this rate, wheat and rye will be no grain for poor men to feed on, and some caterpillars there are that can say so much already. Of bread made of wheat we have sundry sorts daily brought to the table, whereof the first and most excellent is the manchet, which we commonly call white bread, in Latin primarius panis, whereof beauteous also speaketh, in his first book de Assi, and our good workmen deliver commonly such proportion that of the flour of one bushel with another they make forty cast of manchet, of which every loaf weigheth eight ounces into the oven, and six ounces out, as I have been informed. The second is the cheat or wheaten bread, so named because the color thereof resembleth the gray or yellowish wheat, being clean and well-dressed, and out of this is the coarsest of the bran, usually called gurgins or pollard, taken. The revelled is a kind of cheat bread also, but it retaineth more of the gross, and less of the pure substance of the wheat, and this, being more slightly wrought up, is used in the halls of the nobility and gentry only, whereas the other either is or should be baked in cities and good towns of an appointed size, according to such price as the corn doth bear, and by a statute provided by King John in that behalf. The revelled cheat therefore is generally so made that out of one bushel of meal, after two and twenty pounds of bran be sifted and taken from it, whereunto they add the gurgens that rise from the manchet, they make thirty cast, every loaf weighing eighteen ounces into the oven, and sixteen ounces out, and, beside this, they so handle the matter that to every bushel of meal they add only two and twenty, or three and twenty, pound of water, washing also, in some houses, their corn before it go. To the mill, whereby their manchet bread is more excellent in color, and pleasing to the eye, than otherwise it would be. The next sort is named brown bread, of the color of which we have two sorts one baked up as it cometh from the mill, so that neither the bran nor the flour are any whit diminished, this, Celsus called Autopyrus panis and putteth it in the second place of nourishment. The other hath little or no flour left therein at all, howbeit he calleth it panem sebarium, and it is not only the worst and weakest of all the other sorts but also appointed in old time for servants slaves and the inferior kind of people to feed upon he run to likewise because it is dry and brickle in the working for it will hardly be made up handsomely into loaves some add a portion of rye meal in our time whereby the rough dryness or dry roughness thereof is somewhat qualified and then it is named miscellin that is bread made of mingled corn albeit that divers do so or mingle wheat and rye of set purpose at the mill or before it come there and sell the same at the markets under the aforesaid name. In Champagne countries much rye and barley bread is eaten, but especially where wheat is scant and jesson. As for the difference that it is between the summer and winter wheat, most husbandmen know it not, sit they are neither acquainted with summer wheat or winter barley, yet here and there I find of both sorts, especially in the north and about Kendal, where they call it March wheat, and also of summer rye but in so small quantities as that I dare not pronounce them to be greatly common among us. Our drink, whose force and continuance is partly touched already, is made of barley, water, and hops, sodden and mingled together, by the industry of our brewers in a certain exact proportion. But, before our barley do come into their hands, it sustaineth great alteration, and is converted into malt, the making whereof I will here set down in such order as my skill therein may extend unto, for I am scarce a good maltster, chiefly for that foreign writers have attempted to describe the same, and the making of our beer, wherein they have shot so far wide, as the quantity of ground was between themselves and their mark. In the meantime bear with me, gentle reader, beseech thee, that lead thee from the description of the plentiful diet of our country unto the fond report of a servile trade, or rather from a table delicately furnished into a musty malthouse, but such is now thy hap, wherefore I pray thee be contented. Our malt is made all the year long in some great towns, but in gentlemen's and yeomen's houses, who commonly make sufficient for their own expenses only, the winter half is thought most meet for that commodity, howbeit the malt that is made when the willow doth bud is commonly worst of all. Nevertheless each one endeavoureth to make it of the best barley, which is steeped in a cistern, in greater or less quantity, by the space of three days and three nights, until it be thoroughly soaked. This being done, the water is drained from it by little and little, till it be quite gone. Afterward they take it out, and, laying it upon the clean floor on a round heap, it re so until it be ready to shoot at the rude end, which malsters call combing. When it beginneth therefore to shoot in this manner, they say it is come, and then forthwith they spread it abroad first thick, and afterwards thinner and thinner upon the said floor, as it combeth, and there it leath, with turning every day four or five times, by the space of one and twenty days at the least, the workman not suffering it in any wise to take any heat, whereby the bud end should spire, that bringeth forth the blade, and by which oversight or hurt of the stuff itself the malt, would be spoiled and turned small commodity to the brewer. When it hath gone, or been turned, So long upon the floor, they carry it to a kiln covered with hair cloth, where they give it gentle heats, after they have spread it there very thin abroad, till it be dry, and in the meanwhile they turn it often, that it may be uniformly dried. For the more it be dried, yet must it be done with soft fire, the sweeter and better the malt is, and the longer it will continue, whereas, if it be not dried down, as they call it, but slackly handled, it will breed a kind of worm called a weevil, which groweth in the flower of the corn and in process of time will so eat out itself that nothing shall remain of the grain but even the very rind or husk. The best malt is tried by the hardness and color, for, if it look fresh with a yellow hue, and thereto will write like a piece of chalk, after you have bitten a kernel in sunder in the midst, then you may assure yourself that it is dried down. In some places it is dried at leisure with wood alone or straw alone, in others with wood and straw together, but, of all, the straw-dried is the most excellent. For the wood-dried malt, when it is brewed, beside that the drink is higher of color, it doth hurt and annoy the head of him that is not used thereto, because of the smoke. Such also as use both indifferently do bark, cleave, and dry their wood in an oven, thereby to remove all moisture that should procure the fume, and this malt is in the second place, and, with the same likewise, that which is made with dried furs, broom, etc., whereas if they also be occupied green, they are in manner so prejudicial to the corn as is the moist wood. And thus much of our malts, in brewing whereof some grind the same somewhat grossly, and, in seething well the liquor that shall be put into it, they add to every nine quarters of malt one of head corn, which consisteth of sundry grain, as wheat and oats ground. But what have I to do with this matter, or rather so great a quantity, wherewith I am not acquainted? Nevertheless, sith I have taken occasion to speak of brewing, I will exemplify in such a proportion as I am best skilled in, because it is the usual rate for mine own family, and once in a month practised by my wife and her maidservants, who proceed withal after this manner, as she hath oft informed me. Having therefore ground eight bushels of good malt upon our corn, where the toll is saved, she addeth unto it half a bushel of wheat meal, and so much of oat's small ground, and so tempereth or mixeth them with the malt that you cannot easily discern the one from the other, otherwise these latter would clunter, fall into lumps, and thereby become unprofitable. The first liquor, which is full eighty gallons, according to the proportion of our furnace, she mocketh boiling hot, and then poureth it softly into the malt, where it resteth, but without stirring, until her second liquor be almost ready to boil. This done, she letteth her mash run till the malt be left without liquor, or at the leastwise the greatest part of the moisture, which she perceiveth by the stay and soft issue thereof, and by this time her second liquor in the furnace is ready to seethe, which is put also to the malt, as the first wort also again into the furnace, whereunto she addeth two pounds of the best English hops, and so letteth them seethe together by the space of two hours in summer or an hour and a half in winter, whereby it getteth an excellent color, and continuance without impeachment or any superfluous tartness. But, before she putteth her first wort into the furnace, or mingleth it with the hops, she taketh out a vessel full, of eight or nine gallons, which she shutteth up close, and suffereth no air to come into it till it become yellow, and this she reserveth by itself unto further use, as shall appear hereafter, calling it brackwort or charwort, and, as she saith, it addeth also to the colour of the drink, whereby it yieldeth not unto amber or fine gold in hue unto the eye. By this time also her second wort is let run, and, the first being taken out of the furnace, and placed to cool, she returneth the middle wort unto the furnace, where it is stricken over, or from whence it is taken again, when it beginneth to boil, and mashed the second time, whilst the third liquor is heat, for there are three liquors, and this last put into the furnace, when the second is mashed again. When she hath mashed also the last liquor, and set the second to cool by the first, she letteth it run, and then seetheth it again with a pound and a half of new hops, or peradventure two pounds, as she seeth caused by the goodness or baseness of the hops, and, when it hath sodden, in summer two hours, and in winter an hour and a half, she striketh it also, and reserveth it unto mixture with the rest, when time doth serve therefore. Finally, when she setteth her drink together, she addeth to her brackwort or charwort half an ounce of aris, and half a quarter of an ounce of bayberries, finely powdered, and then, putting the same into her wort, with a handful of wheat flour, she proceedeth in such usual order as common brewing requireth. Some, instead of aris and bays, add so much long pepper only, but, in her opinion and my liking, it is not so good as the first, and hereof we make three hogsheads of good beer, such, I mean, as is meat for poor men as I am to live withal, whose small maintenance, for what great thing is forty pounds a year, computatus computandis, able to perform, may endure no deep ear cut, the charges whereof groweth in this manner. I value my malt at ten shillings, my wood at four shillings, which I buy, my hops at twenty pence, the spice at tuppence, servants' wages two shillings sixpence, with meat and drink, and the wearing of my vessel at twenty pence, so that for my twenty shillings I have ten score gallons of beer or more, notwithstanding the loss in seething, which some, being loath to forego, do not observe the time and therefore speed thereafter in their success, and worthily. The continuance of the drink is always determined after the quantity of the hops, so that being well hopped it lasteth longer. For it feedeth upon the hop, and holdeth out so long as the force of the same continueth, which being extinguished, the drink must be spent, or else it dieth, and becometh of no value. In this trade also our brewers observe very diligently the nature of the water, Which they daily occupy, and soil through which it passeth, for all waters are not of like goodness, sit the fattest standing water is always the best, for, although the waters that run by clock or cledgy soils be good, and next unto the Thames water, which is the most excellent, yet the water that standeth in either of these is the best for us that dwell in the country, as whereon the sun leeth longest, and fattest fish is bread. But, of all other, the fenny and marsh is the worst and the clearest spring water next unto it. In this business therefore the skilful workman doth redeem the iniquity of that element, by changing of his proportions, which trouble in ale, sometime are only, but now taken with many for old and sick men's drink, is never seen nor heard of. Howbeit, as the beer well sodden in the brewing, and stale, is clear and well colored as muscadel or malvacy, or rather yellow as the gold noble, as our pot call it, so our ale, which is not at all or very little sodden, and without hops, is more thick, fulsome, and of no such continuance, which are three notable things to be considered in that liquor. But what for that? Certes, I know some ale knights so much addicted thereunto that they will not cease from morrow until even to visit the same, cleansing house after house, till they defile themselves, and either fall quite under the board, or else, not daring to stir from their stools sit still pinking with their narrow eyes, as half-sleeping, till the fume of their adversary be digested that he may go to it afresh. Such slights also have the alooaves for the utterance of this drink that they will mix it with rosin and salt, but if you heat a knife red-hot, and quench it in the ale so near the bottom of the pot as you can put it, you shall see the rosin come forth hanging on the knife. As for the force of salt, it is well known by the effect, for the more the drinker tippleth, the more he may, and so doth he carry off a dry drunken knoll to bed with him, except his luck be the better but to my purpose.